Well, hello, everyone. Dave Sattler here, one of the pastors at North Shore Alliance Church. It's great to be together, and I want to thank you for being here today on, in person, and thank you for those who are watching online. Today, we continue the series, Lessons from the First Church, our odyssey through the thrilling Bible book of Acts. Acts chronicles the compelling story of how God brings together people from many different walks of life, just like us, and he forms them into a deep Christian community, and God empowers them, and in spite of opposition, they spread the life-changing message of the gospel throughout the ancient world. The book of Acts, as I've said, offers essential boots-on-the-ground teaching on how to live and grow in relationship with Jesus and how to participate in the mission of Jesus. Acts also provides valuable insight into the characteristics and practices of the Christian church. It's called our ecclesiology, how we are to relate to one another in church community. And I believe there's much to learn here from the story of the first church and its life together. In the mid-1930s, under the growing power of Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and some of his pastor friends founded an illegal seminary called Finkenwalde. Connected to Berlin by train, this church community shared life together, morning and evening worship, study, relaxation and recreation, meals, theological debate, singing, and all the joys and frustrations associated with communal living. Until the Gestapo shut it down in, the late, 1930, in late 1937, the Finkenwalde community was a solace for clergy and people who were part of the confessing church in Germany, forming them spiritually and preparing them for the difficult and tragic days ahead. It was his time at Finkenwalde that inspired Bonhoeffer's reflections on the character of Christian community and prompted him to write his book called Life Together. And we'll look at that a little bit later in the sermon. To build on the argument, if the unmistakable presence of the risen Christ is exhibit A for the proof of the resurrection, and the incredible transformation of fisherman Peter stands as exhibit B, like I said last week, then for my money, the winsome community of the first church is exhibit C. And what God builds out of his disciples, this motley crew of notable failures, as one scholar puts it, what God builds out of his disciples further authenticates the Christian story and offers another convincing proof of the resurrection. Through his people, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, God releases an explosion of light the world had never known. And the early church is magnetic. People are drawn to its community and, more importantly, to the Savior, Jesus, behind it. Look what God can do. Which leads to our discussion question for today. Who first introduced you to Jesus? What drew you to church? And if you're comfortable, just turn to someone near you and spend a minute or two sharing your answer to this question. Who first introduced you to Jesus and what drew you to church? Take a moment and we'll come back.
Okay, just want to invite you to come back. And to wrap, I want to say this, that nearly everyone I've ever talked to has gotten saved via the witness or invitation of another person. There are few Paul on the Damascus Road experiences out there. This is God's design. It's what he loves to do. He loves to use other people in our lives to minister to us. And so today we come to Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. It's a tactic that he'll employ at key transition points in the story. And Luke pens this six-verse summary to close off section one of the book of Acts. And Dr. Luke's thesis paragraph offers us an extraordinary picture into the life and the ministry of the first church. And we're going to read it, Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. And I want to encourage you to follow along. It's on the big screen. You can do a look at your Bibles or fire it up on your phone. Here we go, Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So God, we thank you for your incredible word written 2,000 years ago by a good man called Dr. Luke. God, we thank you for the story and the God behind this incredible story. God, I ask now that you come and move me out of the way and come and speak to us by your spirit. Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us today? Jesus, we pray that you would be shaping North Shore Alliance Church and us as your community for this time and this place. Spirit of God, would you minister your words of challenge, your words of comfort, your words of shaping to us today. And may our hearts be open to receive from you. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The first believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The first feature of the first church is their single-minded focus on teaching gleaned from the apostles' close companionship with Jesus. This is the beginnings of the New Testament. The apostles' teaching was likely a compilation of the spoken words of Christ, the accounts of his ministry, passion, and resurrection, and a declaration of their vital implication for humanity's salvation. Its important theological features include the conviction that Jesus was both fully human and fully God, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and that the only way to salvation is through repentance and faith in Jesus. This is the time-tested Christian message. It's built on the foundation of Old Testament prophecy fulfilled and confirmed by the two pillar events that we talked about earlier, the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And collectively, this all forms the apostles' teaching and what would become later known as Christian orthodoxy or the Christian tradition. And you've probably heard it. I like to call it the Christian story. And it's still the core doctrinal beliefs of the Christian church today. The first Christians were devoted to fellowship. In the first century, to be born female 
or of certain ethnic backgrounds. To be sick, to be a child, or to be poor meant one's life ceiling was very low. Barriers between you and the rest of society were large. And rather remarkably, the fellowship believers in the first church enjoyed begins to redefine kinship in the ancient world beyond gender, age, race, class, and socioeconomic status. One's primary identity was not defined by the culture, but by relationship with Jesus. And a beautiful byproduct was being welcomed, one and all, into fellowship within the family of God. And in the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, shared meals together, and regular gatherings for prayer, deep relationships flourished in the first church beyond the societal limitations of the time. The primary way we grow in our faith journey is through relationships with people different from ourselves. Yes, church is about you and Jesus, but it's also about you and other Jesus people. It's why we serve coffee in our foyer every week and why I'm encouraging you with the discussion question in these days. On any given Sunday, there is opportunity not just to hear the sermon, but there's opportunity for crucial fellowship. And besides, in our foyer after church, you may even get a mini master class in business. You may glean from the harrowing immigration story of a new Canadian. You could chat sports with a local high school athlete. You could enjoy a robust conversation on world politics. Or you could hear a personal story about someone with challenges and facing homelessness right in our city. All of that you could get in our foyer after church today. Wonders and signs galvanized the first church. Miracles reminded the first Christ followers that Jesus was moving among them, empowering them, and that Jesus and his presence was still with them. Years ago at our Wednesday coffee time ministry, a woman with terminal cancer, shared her story with one of our volunteers who then prayed for her. And miraculously, later that week, she passed a cancerous tumor and delivered it to her doctor, who, needless to say, was amazed and asked her what happened. Impossible, the doctor said. And she answered, people at my church prayed for Jesus to heal me. And Jesus' miraculous healing has impacted our community. It's caused us to be more worshipful, more open about our needs for healing, more committed to prayer ministry, and more reliant and dependent on Jesus. Author Luke is careful to note the underlying purpose for wonders and signs. Their aim? To draw people more into worship, to fill them with awe, to reveal God's awesome power to people both inside and outside the church. The Christ followers, the first Christ followers, practice communal living and the sharing of possessions. I know, it all sounds a little far out, doesn't it? I'm not saying that the church today needs to replicate exactly the community of the first church. Forming a Christian commune is not the prescription here. We live in a different day. But there are lessons to be learned, especially as the Christian story is trying to take root here in our West Coast culture that espouses individualism and values a capitalist mindset toward property. It's probably why I'm told that one of the first words I learned as a child was this, mine, mine, it's all mine. <laughs> However, 
Living the Jesus way totally rewires how we think about our money and our possessions. In God's economy, we are meant to care, share, and give. It's preschool talk, I know, but it's critical. And what we see here in the first church shows us that the people valued one another above their personal possessions. And the redistribution of wealth seems to be part of God's kingdom work. Driven by love for God and one another, the first Christ followers offered their property and their possessions to God as a way of demonstrating God's generous love to others. The first believers also, it's important to note, built on their Jewish faith practices. A vast majority of the first Christians were Jews, and they did not reject their Jewish roots. Instead, they continued to regard the temple as their sanctuary. And they met regularly at what most scholars and historians say is here, in the temple courts, at a spot called Solomon's Colonnade. And they still considered the Mosaic law their law. They had their places in the synagogues. And Christianity functioned as a sect of Judaism, though it would be threatened in the coming decades. And by his emphasis on the first Christ followers meeting in the temple courts, and even enjoying favor of all the people, Luke shows that early Christianity is the fulfillment of all that is truly Jewish. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. The first church had no political sway or wealth or church buildings. Its power was centered on its people living out the gospel of Jesus. And together, their lives and activities formed a powerful witness. Sure, Luke paints a sunny picture because in reality, I know this, the church life is rarely this beautiful and it's often quite messy. But God still works through his church and his people amidst our beauty and mess. Truth is, God, godly, loving churches grow. And people are drawn to Jesus by church communities. Not perfect ones, but godly, loving ones. People are drawn to churches like this. So it's time now to land the plane on some application points. And I offer three quite challenging thoughts for us today. First is this, deep Christian community comes at a cost. It's funny how when the first church arrives on the scene here in Acts chapter 2, there's no mention of a catchy vision, well-orchestrated church services, a particular worship style, attempts to be culturally relevant, employment of hotshot preachers or pastors, or even evangelistic programming. None. None of these church growth techniques are given any airtime in Luke's synopsis of the first church. What instead takes center stage is the quality of their life together. Devoted to fellowship, they were together and had everything in common. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Deep Christian community. And frankly, the community described here feels a little lofty and unattainable. In his book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer writes, Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. They need them again and again when they become uncertain and disheartened because living by their own resources, they cannot help themselves without cheating themselves out of the truth. Reality is, we need other people 
along with us in our journey with Jesus. We cannot walk the Christian life well alone. In Acts chapter 2, spiritual formation is envisioned as a communal exercise. Churches defined primarily by what the church people did together. Yes, each must respond to God's truth individually, yet while salvation is an individual exercise, discipleship is a communal one. Christianity is a team sport. The ultimate team sport, I would say, and I've played a lot of them. Once we've put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit's transforming work flows best when we place ourselves in deep community with other Christians and make a commitment to growing together. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly, I love that word, unswervingly, to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now I know some of you have been disappointed, let down, or hurt deeply by Christian community. And let me just take a moment. Let me just take a moment to acknowledge the pain that you've experienced from church, even from our church. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And if this is your story, I feel like God wants to extend his healing touch to you today. And don't give up. Don't give up. In your relationship with Jesus, you will need to trust and even come to rely on other Christians to help you grow. For walking with Jesus requires significant investment of time and heart in relationships, allowing others into our stories, meeting together, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. And God invites us to take this risk to jump deeper into messy and beautiful Christian community. Join a small group. Find a ministry to serve in. Come to church a little early or stay a little late and go out of your way to talk to people. Invite someone for coffee or lunch to share more about your faith journeys. Yes, it's scary, but it's also worth it. Second application point is this, that Christ followers are called to be generous. Our struggles with wealth are real, whether we have a little bit or a lot. A guy I know won the lottery twice, and it nearly finished him. That's why Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've heard it said, the book of Acts depicts life in the, I call it, disrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ followers, the life Jesus calls us to is meant to reorient the way we think about our time, our talents, and our treasures. People in the first church were encouraged to not hold tightly onto things. And if there was a need, one's property and possessions were to be given up to God to bless others. Well, we all know about the affordable housing crisis in our city. And over the past 10 years, North Shoreline Church has tried to help address struggles faced 
by many of our precious friends in our community with barriers to housing. We've made a video to tell the story. Let's watch it now. Three years ago, I was homeless. I was using IV drugs every day. I had the most hopeless existence um, you could possibly imagine. For most of my life, I was oblivious to the effects of homelessness on the individual and society in general until I joined Coffee Time in 2013 and began to see these effects firsthand, how debilitating it was. We realized we needed to be part of the solution. And in 2015, we opened our first house on Keith Road and housed three people. We now house 13 people with three houses. I'm Dave, I'm the executive director for Lazarus. We are in partnership with the Circle of Care, which includes uh, CAP Community, North Shore Alliance, Health Connections, and CMHA. Hi, uh, my name is Todd. I'm the house pastor of CH2 here. Hello, my name is Suzanne. I am the house pastor of CH3. My name is John Sawyer and I'm the house pastor at the Keith Road Community House in the Circle of Care. My name is Jay, um, and I've been a privilege to live here for just two years. One day, it was nighttime, and it was dark, and I was wet, I was cold, I was tired, I was broke. I just didn't want to live anymore, and I just prayed to God. I said, God, if you're there, either save me from this or let me die. And not long after that, I decided to change my life. I got hospitalized for drug-induced psychosis. I was seeing voices and hearing things that weren't there. You know, God has just miraculously saved my life and I was blessed to be a part of the Circle of Care program that gave me stable housing. My role as house pastor is primarily walking with the men through their journey by visiting at the house quite often. It helps promote uh, meaningful relationships where uh, trust is so important. Very often there's a need to direct them to different services we have through the Circle of Care which promotes uh, wellness and helps them through their journey. I see my role mostly as a companion to the women. I've experienced a lot of great conversation with the women, and I like to be as encouraging as possible to them and supportive. Uh, my role is to be a presence, to be a listener, but most importantly, be an encourager to the guys. The overwhelming support with Health Connections Clinic and with, of course, the wonderful people at North Shore Alliance Church and the power of God, it's just been like a perfect storm of help and support to completely relieve me of my addiction obsession. I've become a peer support worker. I help other people try to recover from the disease of addiction. The community house is the result of many hours of hard work and labor. It hasn't been easy, and it's not gonna get any easier, but it is worth it. We're grateful for the amazing generosity of the benevolent landlords who've rented us their houses over the years, to the house pastors who've committed their time to walk the, the long journey with our house residents, to Dave and the board members who've worked tirelessly 
to pull together funding, to establish partnerships, and put their talents to building and running the circle of care housing model. And you can see that God is moving. He is. Being part of God's family comes with it the responsibility to help others. We, know we need more people to be generous with their homes and rental properties. More people with smaller, large amounts of money to give. More board members to serve. More people willing to walk alongside our house residents. People of North Shore Alliance Church, we are called to practice generosity. A Christian hallmark based on the fundamental truth that my possessions are not mine, but God's. And all that I have is a gift from God meant to be held loosely and shared as needs arise. Our property, our possessions need to come under the sovereignty of God. And tremendous freedom comes when we learn to live generously. Third and final application point is this. Christ followers ought to be marked by love. In John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, us, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Alien to Roman paganism was the idea of a deity sacrificing for humanity motivated by love. And the command for followers of this God to sacrifice by loving one another, this is revolutionary. And when the New Testament was still new, Tertullian of Carthage, a second century church father, claimed it is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, our opponents say, look how they love one another. In his book, The Church of Irresistible Influence, Richard Lewis offers this definition. Church is a community of people who stand firm in the truth over against raging currents of opposition and who present living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And I'm humbled how God continues to draw people to our church community. Even in these challenging days, week after week, God is bringing people to our church, searching for answers to big life questions. How do I find the truth? Who is Jesus? How can I make a friend? And how can I follow Jesus? Just last Sunday, a newcomer showed up and through Google Translate asked one of our, asked one of our ushers, how can I be saved? Having their questions answered, being introduced to Jesus, and making this vital step to put their faith in Jesus is all well and good. But by God's design, the best way, and perhaps the only way for that decision to stick, for people to grow in their faith, is by becoming part of a loving church community. Oh, oh, how I want us to be this kind of church. There is no more defining or compelling characteristic of God or his church than love. When a church's mission is motivated by anything other than love, approval from God or approval from others or even cultural relevance or even by our humanitarian response to the desperate plight of humanity, if we focus on any of those things above love, that's not the right focus and it cannot be sustained. Still, as you know, Loving others is far from easy. 
you may have loved and lost before. We may find certain people or certain types of people very annoying and difficult to love. Or we may struggle with seeing ourselves the way God sees us and this is holding us back from truly loving other people. Whatever your struggle, when we are open, when we call on the Holy Spirit to invade our hearts and our community with deep love for God and one another, God is keen to move powerfully in and through us. Not all of us can be preachers or evangelists or administrators or speak in tongues or teach classes or prophesy, but I believe every single one of us can love. And may God grow us deeper together in love for one another. And may our love, our life together, be a draw and blessing to many others, pointing more and more people to Jesus in our day. Amen. I want to encourage the worship team to come now for our closing of our worship response. I believe we have prayer ministry, Jan. I see Jan right here. Jan will be over here in the alcove. I encourage you, if God's been ministering to your heart today, if there's something that you'd like prayer for, Jan would love to pray with you. She's over there. And please slip out during the songs, or you can wait till the end of the service. This is a time for ministry to respond. God is moving here. Let's stand together.